when I was about 12, 13, or 14 years old, my dad didn't trust me to be home alone during the summer break, and so I would go to work with him. He was a parking attendant at one of the structures near the Los Angeles National Airport, LAX, and he would start uh, with a very early shift. We're talking almost 5.30 in the morning, which meant that we would have to drive from East Los Angeles for about 45 minutes to get there. Uh, a lot of the times, I felt like I sl was asleep in the car uh, during the travels there uh, to, the, uh, to the airport, and then I would just kind of spend my day, my day either at his booth while he was taking tickets, or, interestingly enough, he would let me just wander around the terminals. And so, this didn't happen often, but when it did, I would typically just start walking, um, go up Century Boulevard, and uh, it was the, you know, 80s, uh, and there wasn't the security that we have now, nowadays. This was obviously prior to September 11th, and you could just basically walk anywhere. And for me, one of the things that I loved doing the most was watching the airplanes take off. Not so much land. I like the idea of people taking off and going somewhere. And I would sit there at the terminals and just imagine where all of these fancy pants people were going to. Um, there was something about the people that are returning back which always seemed a little weathered. Um, it seems like they've already gone through some stuff and now they're returning back and all they want to do is get out of LAX, get back home, take a shower and forever, and forever forget whatever happened on the trip. But people are joyful when they're leaving, when they're departing to their destination. And it was my great joy to sit there and just kind of look at them. And again, this was an age before iPads or iPhones. So people were milling around one another and they were, uh, the businessmen were at the local, I mean, at the bars and they were talking shop. And I didn't know what the heck they were talking about, but I knew that they must you know, these were captains of industry and obviously they were fixing something or there were the couples that looked so darn adorable and they were dressed, um, you know, for, for travel and people were still kind of dressing up for travel back then. It isn't as casual as it was now, or at least I remember it that way. Um, but these couples dressed and ready to go to their destinations, exotic places like uh, Hawaii or Jamaica or Winnetka, whatever, you know, it was just interesting stuff that they were going to go see and I wondered will there ever be a time for me to to ever get on one of these planes because prior to that the only one time that I ever been on a plane was when I was a little kid and I came to the U.S. with my dad on on on, on uh when he kidnapped me I'll tell you all about that story one day my point of all that is that I always love my dad waking me up first thing in the morning, very, very early in the morning, and just feeling groggy and just feeling his arms around me as he picked me up and put me in the car. Um, my dad was an interesting fellow, and he didn't show emotion uh, a lot, but whenever he would wake me up and he would say something sweet and, and, and take me to the car and, and ask me to just, just relax and just duermete, hijo, duermete, um, I felt loved. I feel it really felt loved, and I also felt that I was special to him because, you know, it was the three of us, my sisters and I, but for whatever reason, he chose me. Now, it was boring to go uh, to stay at his booth when he was, you know, doing the ticket stuff, and he knew that I didn't like it, and I could take as many books as I wanted to, but it didn't satiate my feeling for wanting to get out, and that's when he started giving me a little bit of range um, to go and wonder. But, again, the, the, the whole point of this is that 
getting up early and, and getting going with my dad was was a real treat, was a, a thrill. And I always liked as we start getting near to the airport or when I was, you know, during the certain times of day uh, of year or whenever I would start wondering about is that I got to see the city that is LAX because I consider it a very small city. I mean, it's just always bustling. There's always things going around. It's one of the busiest airports in the world to see it wake up to see people starting to arrive and drop off their bags. And again, this was a time when people could take a heck of a lot more time dropping things off. We weren't worried about any of the catastrophes that have befallen the country uh, since then. But back then, people could just basically drive up. And, you know, you could have a chat with a police officer that was there and let them know that you were going to, you know, be there for a minute or two. You were just going to go, you know, see your wife or your friend off. And they weren't going to hassle you too much, depending on who you were. Again, this is the 80s in, in Los Angeles. One of my favorite places was the Tom Bradley Terminal. It's at the very far end of the, uh, of the airport, and that's where all the international flights come from. And it was like going to a present-day Babel. The languages that were coming from all of the different, uh, all of the different you know, spots was just so much fun to hear. And again, this was back in the day when you can go up and, and wander around, uh, or at least I was able to. And I got to know a few people, some of the folks that worked there, so I got maybe a little bit of latitude. I've always been kind of a chatty Cathy, and if I talk to you long enough, uh, you might be uh, okay with giving me a little bit of, of a leash. And so I would wander into some of those places, and I, I love the stores because you, you know it was all this fancy stuff that we didn't typically have at our malls. They were meant for last-minute gifts for travelers, and um, a bunch of knickknacks that were way overpriced, but they were really fun and cool to look at, little tokens and reminders of Los Angeles. And you kind of see how others see your city through these mementos, right? Uh, and again, the voices that were going on and the clothing that people wear. I think it was uh, one of the first times that I have ever heard Mandarin. I had, you know, in East Los Angeles, you didn't hear a lot of the Asian languages, but it was you know, I, I heard it there. Truly, the the, the true, the, you know, the, somebody just truly speaking to another. And I remember, oh my gosh, that is so fast. How does anybody catch up? And of course, there were people coming in from Mexico, and you could, uh, they, you could spot them right away. They were loud, and, and and family members greeted each other with these huge, loud, uh, annoying hugs that only Mexicans know how to give. And and but they, and they were roaring and true and honest, and and it was just a joy to see people happy. Uh, sometimes though, especially on the departure side of it, and that maybe that's another reason why I didn't like it, is that that was the place where lovers, family members, uh, people that were friends realized that their trip had come to an end and now it was time to go. And you did not know again when you would see that person and the tears are the opposite of the joys that are going on upstairs. The tears break you because you don't know and I, and I guess I understood it because I've had moments like that myself back when we were you know still going back and forth a little bit between the US and Mexico I remember how I felt leaving my dad and, and knowing that I, it would be years before I would see them the only folks that I feel about that way now are my in-laws they live up way up north they live up in Alaska and we see them maybe two or three years ago and I miss them dearly they're they're, they're very kind people and they're some of the best folks I know, and so whenever they visit or whenever we visit them, it's just heartbreaking to leave. And 
and you know they're my adopted family for lack of a better term i mean they're they're my wife's parents but the other thing that i that, that breaks me is the fact that my other half is a stoic uh, you know just she's just a rock sometimes i got to drag out the emotion from her she's again the opposite of me i'm this overtly hypersensitive kind of person who wears her heart on the sleeve and anything makes him well up with tears and my wife is the other side it's it's the it has to take something you know very impactful for her to break that's one of the shames of me being who i am is that by the sheer fact of sometimes me being an asshole that I've driven her to tears and I feel awful because this woman never breaks. So what kind of jerk have I been in order to emote tears from her? So the only other time that I've ever really seen it, seen it happen is whenever her parents and her mom and her dad are going to leave. She breaks. And I there's not enough words. There's nothing that I can say. There's um, Oftentimes I stay quiet and just let her process the information because I know how much she's feeling and you know she misses her mom and dad I think if I would because again I'm hypersensitive that the the next time that I will feel that kind of pain of somebody leaving or the highs of rejoice when somebody comes is whenever my children come and go there'll be a day when they'll be much much older and they'll have their own lives, and they might move away from us. And I hope that they do, because they need to see the world. Your kids are not meant to stick with you right next door to you. At least not for a while. They're meant to go see the world. I want them to experience life. I want them to try things. And things don't always happen when you're around the um, the shadow that mom and dad uh, cast. But if they were to leave, if they were to go, seeing them walk away will be the hardest thing that I will experience anytime soon. Having them come home, I can't even imagine how fast my heart is going to be beating you know, inside my chest. And so I try not to think about it, because even now as I start doing that, I, I, I feel overwhelmed by the emotion of, of those comings and goings. And, and that's what I remember fondly about LAX is that you could, at least back in the day, you could experience that. You could see those human dramas uh, displaying themselves in front of you, and all you had to do was just sit at a chair and just watch the people come and go. So it was special times, and it happened because my dad would wake me up and early, and he would make me special and take him to his place of work, and I would then have the opportunity to see the uh, the small city that is LAX wake up. So when I travel, I try to recreate that for my children and also because I have this need to make good time. See, I, I try to relax as much as possible when, whenever we're on our trips, but the reality is is that we have two places to get to. And so since the, for the most part, since we drive anywhere, you have to make good time. And if you leave at 9 in the morning, 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, and you have a 6-7 hour drive, that cuts into the activities that you can do uh, throughout your travels and also whenever you reach your destination. If you get to your place by around 10 or 11 o'clock, you are extremely limited in what you're going to be able to do. I mean, not me. I'll find a bar anywhere. But for little kids, they're probably just going to go to bed, be bored in the car, and then go to bed whenever we get to wherever we need to get to. So for me, it's paramount as I plan, as we plan out our trips 
that we get out as early as possible. And that means 4 a.m., 5 a.m. My wife hates it. She doesn't travel well to her. You know, she, she gets the anxiety of getting on travel and making sure that everything is packed and that all of the um, all of the RSVPs have been sent out for the next hotel that we're going to go to. But me, it's like, I know it sucks, but power through because we want to get on the road as early as possible so that we can get to the, our destination as early as possible that we can still have a make a day of it. And I'm willing to sacrifice uh, pl- plenty of Z's in order to be able to make that happen. So, on our second to last day in our Oregon travels, uh, that is exactly what we chose to do. We had been extremely tired from the, the earlier day's adventures. Um, and my wife was really hoping that we could get a later start. But I did the foot down sort of deal, a gentle foot down, relax. We always talk it through. But I kind of pushed the envelope that I wanted to to get you know, going early on. And so she acquiesced, and sure enough, uh, four in the morning, I packed everything. I put all the luggage in the car, and then I went and woke up my little my my little ones, told them to shh, shh, stay quiet, it's okay, go stay asleep, baby. And I packed them both in the car, and we were off. We were off, and we were going to be leaving Oregon. This was our last day there, and I felt. Really sad. It's one of those crazy things that over the course of four and a half days, the the the, the state just grows on you, and, and you fall in love with the opportunities that you feel that you could have there because there is just so much around you. There's so much nature, and for somebody that has come to really embrace that, um, Oregon is the place to be. I can't talk enough about it. I think I'm pissing off friends and family because I can't stop bringing it up, and it's all that seems to be showing up on my Instagram page. They don't care. I think that a lot of them like it, and uh, several of them have shared with me the fact that they've traveled to these places, and they've thought about Oregon, too. So it's not as bad as I think uh, I'm making it out to be. But the reason why I was telling you about LAX is because just like when we headed out uh, of LA to start heading to Oregon, it was the same way heading out from Oregon, you know, com- you know coming back down to, to California. It was the waking up, the, well, putting the kids in the car, making sure that they were, uh, they, they were set to go. And then as we started driving, to see the sun beginning to rise. And for them to, you know, start, you know, coming out of their haze and open up their peepers and have the light of the sun greet them. And I sometimes look at the rearview mirror at the, and try to catch that moment because it's, really a special second or two where the retina captures the light of the sun and I think something gets triggered within our mind that says it's time to wake up. We come online at that moment. The haze dissipates and it goes away and all of a sudden you realize you're back in the land of the living. You've done your you've done your time travel because that's how kind of I always considered sleeping as time travel. Uh and now you're back to the shared reality that we all have with one another. And to do it in a place where there's greenery all around you and the smell of dad's coffee is going on 
and you hear your brother or you hear your sister, whoever wakes up first, kind of still snoring and wondering when they're going to wake up and feeling that little bit of hunger in your tummy because you know that uh, we better stop soon or there better be a rest stop because I'm getting hungry and I heard that there were muffins that were packed the night before. All of those things come online and the boxes can start to get checked off and the body and the person and the mind knows that, that hey, it's another day of travel. And if I catch it at the right moment, I actually have seen that little bit of smirk, that, that Mona Lisa smile that comes across my children who now know it's another adventure day. And sure enough, it, it came uh, right before Ashland. Uh, so we had been on the road there for quite a while. And my youngest woke up and, that's, and she made the realization about 20 minutes later, her brother woke up. And they realized that we were back on it on adventure time and they were kind of happy and well i'm sorry it was it's bittersweet because we, as we passed ashland and we just we got to the sign that says you are now leaving oregon and, and coming to california uh they both waved at the sign just like mom and i and, and, and myself did and said goodbye to oregon and i think in our brains promising we will be back again we have to come back to this place and then we're back in California, and all of a sudden you realize, and it's the odd thing, but you realize you're home in a way. This is your state. It means something to be a Californio again. That all of a sudden, all the land around you, it's part of people that share the same license plate. The fact that we share the challenges of the fires. The water will always be something that we argue over. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, there's signage, and I have to read up a, a little bit about it. So I'm I, and I'm not gonna wax poetically on it because I don't know enough, and I don't want to get myself into trouble. But there's signage all over the place about the state of Jefferson. It's like these yellow signs across. No, I'm sorry, uh, green signs with a yellow uh, symbol in the middle, and it says the Great Seal of the State of Jefferson. There's two X's in the middle, um, and there's different versions of it, but. Um, you know, but but they're you know they're 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 emblazoned on fences across certain parts of the Pacific Northwest, and I always wondered what it was, and I guess what some folks have done. And again, I don't know all the history, so don't at me later on and saying, "Hey, you don't know what the heck you're talking about." I realize that I don't. I'm just kind of giving you the Cliff Cliff Notes version of it, but. It's a proposed area. It's basically people that want to make their own state, which encompasses the very uh, upper part of California and the southern part of Oregon. And they would like to, for lack of a better term, I guess, secede from the union. And, or not they wouldn't secede. They would be creating their own state. And this, this has been tried. And you know, I think I talked about this on the podcast that you know, people have been trying to break up California into twos and threes for a long, long time. And it just never has happened. But... The great, you know, the people of the state of Jefferson, quote unquote, they want their independence from, you know, California in, in our, uh, in northern, in northern uh, neighbor, and they want to make something on their own. And kind of when I saw it, I'm like, oh, what a kooky thing. But after reading a little bit of what it is that they want, I kind of understand the drive. Doesn't mean that I would want them to to, to go on their own, but I understand what the drive is. Southern California is a, I mean, sorry, California is a very big state. So is Oregon. And to say that one rule uh, is universal to such a big mass of land, I don't know. There's some good arguments there. But 
my point was that here we are back in California, back in Cal and California politics are now starting to become real again. And you realize that, yeah, this is home and you're back into the fray of that. And even though I try to stay off Twitter as much as possible, you realize that there's been infighting and there's been argument and the fires have started, you know, have um, made it so that the politicians are going to decide how is the way that we're going to deal with these things from now on. And then you have the, the, the private uh, industry that wants, to, that wants to chime in. You have the political faction. You have the citizens. All, everybody's, you know, up and talking about how are we going to create a more perfect state? And how are we going to deal with the challenges that the states have? And now we're back in it. It's funny. We play this game uh, as a family where whenever we're on the road, on our long road trips, we tend to, well, sorry, we look at the license plates of other cars. And if whenever we see one from a foreign state, we slug it. We slug at one another. It's our version of punch buggy, but with license plates. And the rules state that if, you are, oh, I'm sorry, that if we leave the state, then our car becomes foreign to that state and you're allowed to hit the person in the house under that, you know, in that car. So it's basically the first person who thinks of it, the moment that we get in the car, they get to hit. And if you leave the car, let's say you're going to get gas or the car stops for whatever reason and the doors open and you come back, everything resets and you can slug somebody or that state. And of course, when we were in Oregon, we had gotten, you know, somebody had slugged another person over California. But now that we were in California, that couldn't happen. And it's one of those, everybody understands and, and, and gets the rules. And it was kind of just fun to see the fact that, darn it, that little bonus hit wasn't there and available anymore. And that's what I mean. Those are the little things about coming back to your home state that you realize now you're, now you're playing in your very big backyard. Also, I have to pump my own gas now. We started heading uh, south, and uh, our destination for the, on this fourth, fifth, whatever day, of travel was Lassen National. Uh, I'm sorry, Lassen Volcanic National Park. I did not know anything about this area, uh, you know, before uh, coming there. My wife had um, mapped it out, and uh, you know, it was a, a choice destination for her. Uh, and it's it's striking. Obviously, it's you know a volcano. Um, it's named after a volcano, a volcano that exploded back in the, exploded, erupted back, I think, as early as the 1914s, right prior to the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties. I think uh, from 1914 to 1921 were the, you know, was a series of eruptions. So relatively, uh, relatively recent. And one of the only place, one of the first places, if not the first place, which was ever photographed, like an eruption actually was photographed. I also believe that prior to Mount St. Helens in the 80s, it was the biggest eruption that we had had in the, uh, in the West Coast for a very long time. So it's quite impacting. What I think I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, it, it wasn't my favorite and don't get me wrong. It's just that we saw so much. Um, I think what made it so that it wasn't my favorite park, uh, and that's very relative, right? What didn't is the fact that a lot of the land is very barren. And the reason why that is, is that, again, this is just relatively recently, uh, about a hundred, just over a hundred years ago, the fact that 
all the earth was uprooted and things were thrown to smithereens and grounds were you know churned into rubble and everything has been splayed across this massive uh, batch of land and you can still see the effects of that nature has not yet recuperated from the you know what this um, what this volcano did these are huge rocks boulders just sit miles away from the, the main eruption you can just walk up to them and, and, and what I will say this and it's very uh, cool about uh, the, this national park it is the only place where they have a lot of little trails so you can do maybe eight, eight or nine very little you know little trails that last maybe about 30 to 45 minutes each and as you walk through them they actually have these booths where you can push a button and uh, audio will come out of what it is that you're supposed to be seeing I didn't see that in any, any other spot. So that's very cool. You have these guided tours. And they are peppered throughout the rim of, of the park. But again, what, you, what I noticed the most is the fact that you just have these massive swatches of land who have, are just desolate. And they, there's some very big moonscapes um, where you realize life or nature hasn't yet, yet quite reclaimed this. At least not the way that we would think of a forest. It's still very rocky, still very raw. Um, the other thing, which I found very cool, is the fact that, and I find it cool anywhere I go to, but you know, this is the one place that we saw it on our travels, is the fact that there's still, that it, there's still volcanic activity going on uh, there. And so you get to see these spots where there's things bubbling up, and, and, and some of them are cold, and you, you, it's just it feels like soda just bubbling up, you know, from the top of a of a what is it? I'm thinking of uh, of a glass of soda, and as you can just see the bubbles come out, and it's cold to the touch, so that's safe. Or there's other spots that we drove up, you know, that we drove near, which is close to the um, to the Junior Ranger Station or or the main station for the park, where you have this just heated. Uh, milkyish kind of um, thermal vent that is just churning. It's like think of a pot and you're making a meal and and, and all of the and, and it's just the, the water is as hot as it's going to get and it's just bringing all of these things up to the bubble. But it's it's gray and milkyish. It smells like rotten eggs, and you know that if any of this thing got to you, it's going to burn you like acid, you know, the, uh, alien style. Those are fantastic, amazing things to see because to me, it tells me that the earth is alive. We don't think of it that way, but the earth is uh, inside. It's alive. It's churning. It's a system. And it hasn't stopped just because we have put uh, roads, um, we have paved roads around it. It's still going. It's still moving. And it could still cause great havoc. In the places where the, the thermal bands come, uh, are available to see, you come to realize that. That there's a lot of stuff going underneath. There's a lot of heat uh, under us. And there's a lot of heat over us because of the fire. So you're sitting in a hellish escape. And uh, like all things uh, nature-wise, it humbles you. It makes you realize that, man, we are just these little tiny insects on a very big, violent planet. And that is cool because it makes me think that, hey, slow your roll. There's a lot that you don't know. 
The other cool thing about the uh, coming into the park, and I don't know if this is happening now, but that for maybe 20 to 30 miles as we started to get into it, we saw these blankets or of, of, of butterflies coming at us. They were on the side of the road. They were on the road. They were crossing the road. It was just butterflies all over the place. And you can't help to hit them. You can't help to squish them. And so for 20 to 30 miles, you're just constantly hitting these bugs. And they're jumping, you know, they're bu- bouncing off the, uh, uh, the, the, the bumpers. And they're slamming and creating these yellowish uh, splotches on your windshield. And you feel bad because you don't you don't want to do this you 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 don't want to kill but you can't help it because you're just you're moving through this area and it's not just you it's all of the throng of vehicles that are coming before you and afterwards and it's this murder scene and when when we got to the first station at the park we asked what the heck is going on and they said that this is just part of nature the um, these butterflies which I had the name and it now escapes me. But the, the, you know, this is the time when they're you know making themselves available. They're they're looking for love in all the wrong places, and so they can't they can't help. They'll they'll brave the uh, the the warmth of the road uh, because they need it, and and so they die. But uh, I'm glad that it's a, it was a rental because I would not have wanted to wash that car to get some of the wings and some of the guts of this car. Trust me, they were baked in there. It was really really tough. We left the park uh and by this point again i think we were all running on very happy fumes we were tired um i was tired i felt it i felt it in my back i felt it in my legs and we had one more overnight stay um and we chose chester california uh and we chose it because there was a great western there uh, and it, I thought it was going to be a bigger city. It wasn't. It is a really, really little town, a uh, population of about 2,100 people as of 2010. Um, but it was a, well, overnight. So it was cool because it was a little jacuzzi. The kids were super happy that this was a Best Western who, when you first arrived, there was lemonade and cookies and coffee and tea all laid out front you. The other places didn't have coffee and tea. I'm sorry, they didn't have lemonade and cookies, so the kids were in seventh heaven. Um, but it's basically one of those spots where you can just drive through and you wouldn't even know that you missed the town because there's a very few shops and that's about it. And um, It was dinner time and we decided to check out uh, a place that had some pretty good job reviews and it's called The Locker Room um, in Chester, California. And I will say this. I will give it a, a food a fantastic review. It was very, very good food. Uh, I didn't think much of it when I first walked into it. Again, it's a small town. It's not going to look like a BJ's restaurant. But, I, you know, looks-wise, it's a little bit rough around the edges. The food, though, was fantastic. And, there was, and the helpings were august. I mean, these were big, heavy plates that came... Uh, to the point where we really struggled with, you know, even eating a third of what it is that we want, you know, that we ordered, and we ended up packing the rest, and that's what we snacked on on the, on the car ride back the next day. Um, the other thing that I noticed is that I felt very out of place when I first arrived there with the kids because, and my wife because 
it was 99% on the folks were older white. And it's a small town. So you have that jarring feeling that, oh, I'm the outlier here. And I did see eyes on me. Now, you could say that, hey, you're just, um, you're, you're seeing what you wanted to see. Maybe, but I was certainly the outlier. Uh, and it's also the kind of spot that they, everything on the walls was emblazoned with uh, the home team's gear. So I think they had a baseball team that they, they, they were cheering for, and there was um, paraphernalia for the baseball team all over the walls and the ceilings. Um, you couldn't get away from it. I think their uh, mascot is the volcano, of course. And uh, But like I said, I felt really weird for a few minutes, but then afterwards it was really cool. I uh, wish the waiting staff had been a little bit more John, you know, Johnny on the spot. Uh, we had to wait for our food for quite a while. We had to wait for just something as simple as water for quite a while to the point where I had to go up to the counter and actually ask for some more because our waitress wasn't coming. Um, it, but it, it, the food was fantastic. The price for the food was, it was, was terrific. And, you know, I will give it a four out of five stars just because when you eat good food, you know it. When you eat flavorful food, you own it. And, again, I, if I could have uh, some of the pizza that I had, Again, here at home, I'd be in 7th heaven. That was good, good stuff. Uh, probably didn't do a lot for the uh, old diet. But I had come at that point, by the time that I finished that meal, I realized that whenever we arrived back in Southern California, whenever we got back to our little town, that I was going to go into an immediate cleanse and get back to basics food-wise because, like I said before, I didn't care for some of the photos that were taken. The old belly was a little bit over the top. And uh, I'm 40. That doesn't mean I, I, I get to give up. Uh, no no muffin top for this pop. So anyways, uh, we, you know, we spent the rest of the night just kind of chilling out. Everybody went to bed um, early. And the next day we decided since we were about uh, maybe we were about still seven or eight hours from from L.A. that we were not going to make it a big push, that we were going to take it easy, that we knew the long was going to be road. We were going to take the five freeway, which is not the most scenic route uh, for Los Angeles. You have these big stretches of land where it's just dry grass and or burnt grass, uh, and it's flat land and farmland for the most part, so it's not the most visually pleasing place. So, realized that we were going to take turns driving, that we we're going to make the last push, but there was no need for us to get up super early in the morning. And uh, I would tell you all about the next day, but it really is was just a lot of driving uh, in beige countryside. So I'm not going to do that. I guess what that means is that this is the end of me talking about our trip to Oregon. And I have received about... 10 messages on Twitter and on Instagram about what this um, th this small little series has meant to some of you. And that's a very, very small audience, or at least part of the audience that has said, hey, we appreciate it. But you know what? Each one of those means a lot to me. Because A, I either got you excited for a part of the world that you may, or a part of our country that you may not have known about, or you got to reminisce about your own adventures. Being a 90s kid and, and going to you know places like uh, the Goonies Beach or 
just you know if you're a fan of Tolkien and 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 seeing all of these um, waterfalls off the side of the road, or if you're somebody who loves camping and and just knowing about a place where there's you know there's opportunity for it you know just off the side of the road and it goes on for hours, or those adventure types that like to do silly things like jump in crater lakes like I did. I mean, it's all great stuff. And I will say that, and I do this every time, so maybe it's it's starting to become cliche, but truly, this trip changed me. Part of it is that a fact, part of it is that I'm 40, and so I am really taking stock of a lot of things, and that's part of the reason why I'm recording. But because this, the, 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 that state is truly special. And you combine somebody who is at my stage in life with a place that that's that um, that amazing, and you can't help but be excited to want to hold on to it, to think about it, and to plan for the next time to travel to it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll get back to the usual shenanigans from here on out. Um, but, hey, you know, one of the things I will leave you is this. If you're thinking about somewhere, uh, going somewhere, book it. If you, you know, book it, book it. Just pay for it, book it, get ready to go. Because if you vacillate, like sometimes we tend to do, about doing that one thing that you've always meant to, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never do it. Just pay for it. Get yourself in the mindset that you're going to go. And somehow life figures itself out. You make it happen, and it changes you. Thank you, everyone. Peace.